take your Bibles this morning and turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Lord willing, we'll conclude our short series on the church, the spiritual gifts within the church uh, and the body of Christ. Several Sunday mornings, even over the last few months, uh, we've been looking at this, and I think our last message was uh, back in December, one of the last few weeks of the year. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 26 through 31, we'll look at this morning. We ended uh, last time, uh, the end of December, looking at uh, the care that the body should have one for another. Let me read verse 25, and then we'll keep going in 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And the title of the message comes from that last verse a more excellent way. Father, we read your word. Help us as we uh, meditate on it even this morning. As I share uh, the truth of scripture, even that other passages uh, share with us, that we would learn much. Even as we read in Psalm 119, the last few verses, that you would show us from your word, your truths, your judgment, that we would glean from it. Help us to do that even this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the fourth message of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The first we looked at just, just briefly, we looked at one source of those diversities of the gifts in the first few verses. Then the second message looked at the body of Christ. There were many members. It was the same body. It was the church. And the third message we looked at was really the goal of, of all these verses in verse 25 and that, that, uh, the, that the care for one another should abound more and more. Although we have many gifts, there are members that are care one for another. In the last message this morning, a more excellent way. As we look at verse 26, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. There's a unified response in the body of Christ and the first phrase, we see there's suffering in the body. And I think many of us are familiar uh, with this point. We understand the suffering analogy well. When the proverbial hammer hits the thumb, what happens in the body? It's not just the thumb that hurts, but rather the whole body stops. We come to the aid of the thumb. The body just doesn't keep moving along, but we stop and we come to the aid of it. We might take a few breaths, right? Take, take a little pause. And then we get back to work. In Ephesians chapter 5, turn with me there, just a few pages over. Third and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. There's another analogy that God gives, a close parallel to the body. 
the marriage, the relationship of the husband and the wife. And Paul speaks really concerning Christ and the church. While the picture of marriage is here, but Paul speaks concerning Christ and the church. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and following, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife... Or wrinkled. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. When we consider this passage relating to the passage in 1 Corinthians, when one member suffers, there's caring that happens. Men, we don't have to be taught to care for our own selves. We know how to care for ourselves. Me, particularly, I think when I have a headache, when I have a migraine, nobody has to tell me what to do. I simply go, I'd be alone, I might climb in bed, and I might just hang out there until time passes and the headache leaves. I know how to care for myself. We all know how to care for our own selves. Uh, and that happens naturally. But Christ, Paul speaks concerning Christ and the church. What about the physical body? God designed, we talked about the, when the hammer hits the finger, God designed our individual physical bodies with nervous system, nerves, response mechanisms. When danger comes, when trauma happens, we respond very quickly. What about the church? What about the members in the church? If we understand our, um, that awareness of the body, the physical body, men, maybe even how we care for ourselves and we should love our wives as well, do we see the church and do we see our response to the church in the same way that it should happen so quickly? We should respond so immediately. But isn't that the picture? That's the parallel. When Christ talks about the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and how it responds and yet the church is the body of Christ. What hinders, I ask this question of myself, what hinders this autonomous care? It's like we should be caring one for another very well. Very well. Not only should there be this automatic response in this time of need, and we see the when the pain comes, but that's not the only thing, right? When the pain comes, we respond. But what about when a particular member gets honored? Do we rejoice with it? Rejoicing should happy, happen as well. Now, for me, maybe for you, and this is probably a growing point for me, it's easy for me to be passive in this area. It's like when honor comes, it's like rejoicing is good, but I don't necessarily just jump right on board. And it's not that I, and I have this written down, it's not that you're jealous over that. You're just kind of passive. And that, that's me. And do I need to be instructed? Sure. Do I need to look out? Do I need to rejoice with those that do rejoice? Sure. I thought of this kind of the, certainly the far extreme is jealousy. And when we consider the body, we consider the analogy of the body, it's, it's a good analogy that God gives. It's perfect. I thought of those, uh, those skills that have the hands at their roots. You might think of sports. You might think of Travis playing the violin. A lot of musical instruments have to do with the hands. Or you hear of the Golden Glove Award. Right? There, there are specific things. 
but how does the body respond when an award is given or acknowledgement is given? Let's say for the hands, it's like you've played at a piano recital competition or something, you won first place, like you do a lot with your hands. Does the rest of the body just sit on the bench when you're given the award? And it's like, well, the hands can just, they can go accept the award. No, right? That, that's, that's an extreme case, and we'd say that never happens. But does it ever happen in the church? We think it's ridiculous for the body, right? If the hands are recognized, no, the whole body enjoys that. The head appreciates it. We, we're thankful for that um, acknowledgement, that reward. We all celebrate. We all rejoice together. But we should do the same with the body of Christ. So not only with pain that we come to the aid in pain, we should come to the aid in rejoicing uh, with those that are honored as well. But what about verse 27? So not only should we have a unified response, but there's also the body of Christ. Now, it seems like it's a restatement of what we already know. But it, even as Scott Button re reminded us last week, maybe things are said over and over again because I need to hear it time and time again. Verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. We were doing Bible study on uh, Sunday night. We'll do it this afternoon. It's an opportunity for us to think a little more on what is written. And as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, it's like we know that the body of Christ, the church is the body of Christ, so why is that here? And as I started thinking of it, I said, is this just a trivial statement that I just gloss over? And as I sat and I pondered a little more, what can I glean from this? The church, the members of the body with individual gifts given by God, we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head, yes, Colossians says, but we're the body of Christ. Is that trivial to you, or can you think of that a little more? As I thought of it, we have the opportunity to display God, display the body of Christ by our interaction one with another. The church, how we interact, we display the body of Christ. We display what God looks like, what Christ looks like. We can display his beauty. We can display his character. All of those beautiful attributes we can display. We are his body, right? The head is a portion of it, but we are the body. That's what God says in his word. If we can display his beauty and those attributes, what if we fail as a body to do what God has designed us to do? And I said, well, we can also distort the picture of God, distort the picture of Christ's body. And as I thought a little more, just a variety of passages, what's the potential failure? We're not just distorting. It, because when we distort the picture of God, we don't portray the true God. The epistles talk about sharing another gospel. If we're not sharing the gospel as it's written, it's another gospel. It's a false gospel. If we don't show the true picture of Christ, are we showing a false God to others? I had to ask myself that question, and I ask us that. It's for pondering, for considering. If I'm not showing the true Jesus Christ, Am I showing someone else that's not Christ? That state, that verse, verse 27, isn't trivial any longer in my mind because I could be displaying the beauty of God or I could be distorting his body as well. 
So we, the, as we think of 1 Corinthians 12, we are all the eye. Right? We talked about that you know, several months ago. If we were all the eye, we distort the body of Christ. If the eye says to the hand, I have no need of thee, we distort the body of Christ. Or those parts that already have comeliness and we try to ascribe more honor to those parts instead of giving to those parts that lacked. And we overemphasize that. We distort the body of Christ. I'm not sure I've ever considered this fact really before in this study um, that we'd be displaying another God. But it's truly something for us to consider because I want to show God for who he is. We don't want to show a false God. We want to act as God designed. We want to be the church that God designed. So we read the scripture, and I thought, at every turn in scripture, there is something for me to learn, something for me to grow, to be set further apart for his glory, for his service. We just have to be humble enough to accept that. I think last, last month we looked at how we profit from the scriptures and as God points things out in our lives, we, we acknowledge those. He, you know, we, he brings conviction. He helps us to develop a sorrow for that sin, and we confess or we repent from that sin. God's word is there for us. When we consider the body of Christ, we either display the true God or we distort his image before a world that's in need of seeing the true God. Really, this is a fearful thing. We should, we should acknowledge this. It's a fearful thing to consider that my actions within the church may actually be painting a false picture that God has sent his son uh, to a world that he wanted to save. At a very high level, personal testimony, here's a challenge that I face. I think, um, I think it was Jonathan Edwards in his resolutions. He has several resolutions which are very uh, convicting as far as what he personally uh, resolved to do. And I think one of those things was any time he saw something in the scriptures that he was convicted, he made a choice to then change. Let God change him, put his hand to the plow, and not look back. Personally, we, I find that difficult to do. It's like, and maybe you've seen times when God has pointed out something in scripture, it's like, that's a place I need to change, but for me, sometimes it's difficult to grab the plow and just keep going. It's like, Maybe I'll grab it for a while and let it go. I might be convicted again, grab it for a little bit more and continue to go. Areas of growth. Areas of growth. In the context of our knowledge about spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, do we need to acknowledge anything? I need to acknowledge things. Keep your hand to the plow. Keep your hand to the plow. Well, we're the church. We are the body of Christ. It's not trivial, but it's serious. And now God restates uh, his design, and as he restates it, he prioritizes the gifts as he designed. Let's look at verse 28. And think of the priority that he lists as he gives those descriptors, first, second, third. Verse 28, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. There's an order of the gifts that God gives, a hierarchy, if you will, uh, an order, a rank that he has designed, if we can use that, that term of, of bestness that he describes. And we'll actually see that word a little later. So in chapters 13 and 14, and, um, God gives some additional information which helps us with a more fuller knowledge of all of these gifts. 
and our understanding translates into our beliefs uh, in this area of the gifts. And maybe remember, uh, this would have been several months ago, but when we led off this discussion, right, the very first few verses of the chapter now concerning spiritual gifts, I chose not to jump into all the details of the gifts at that point, knowing that we would eventually get to a list. But our church also, when we joined Village Chapel Baptist Church, our constitution, we have position statements on various things. And I was like, it would be good to refresh ourselves on that statement, which we all subscribe to, which has to do with ministry and spiritual gifts. So we'll look at that this morning. And of course, in our constitution, um, if you guys have read through it, there are multitude of verses that allude to given position statements. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which is where we are in, verses 4 through 11, lists the gifts of the early church. In Romans 12, 4 through 8, expands on that list. We won't list them for you. In 1 Corinthians 13, just the next chapter over, the love chapter that we call it, provides even some limitations to those gifts in verses 8 through 10. Then in Ephesians 4, there's a subset of those gifts really for the perfecting of the saints, right? For the work of the ministry, and there's a reason why those gifts are given. And our church constitution articulates a position statement regarding ministry and the spiritual gifts. Our church affirms these passages in this way. Let me read it for you and see if you can't pull some of these verses that we've been studying together and affirm that again. So our church position statement says, Therefore we believe God is sovereign in the bestowal of all his gifts, and that the gifts to the church of evangelist, pastor, teacher, is sufficient for the perfection of the saints today. That speaking in tongues and the working of sign miracles gradually ceased as the New Testament scriptures were completed and their authority became established. Additionally, every Christian is given at least one spiritual gift through divine enablement by God to edify the body of Christ. God does hear and answer the prayer of faith for the sick and afflicted in accordance with his own will. This is the importance and benefit of studying and knowing God's word. It's really the compilation of all of these passages as we understand them that helps us to truly follow God's word for the church today. So verse 28, right? He shared that order of, of gifts that we should, we should look at and we should subscribe to. As we move forward to the last few verses, let's look at verse 29. And I want to share, before we read that verse, let's look at something. I don't normally dig too far into the, the original languages or the grammar of the passages, but I think it's helpful uh, for our understanding uh, in this case. So the example I thought of... Or, we know that when we use the word love in scripture, our English word, we, we use love, but there are several different uh, words in the Greek that have a different aspect of love. Well, when it, ha when it comes to questions, something similar like that happens. And you see in verse 29, there are quite a few questions. And on the surface, you might think, well, some questions are very neutral in nature. You know, you can ask a question and somebody can say yes or no. But others imply a given response. Let me share for you an example. So Johnny comes in from playing, right? He's been playing in a sandbox. Johnny comes in from playing and his mother says, are you going to eat with dirty hands? We might think, well, maybe Johnny has a, an option of saying yes or no. Maybe he has a real choice. 
But let me share with you the context of that question. So earlier in the day, Mother and Johnny had a conversation about the importance of washing your hands before you come to the table. They talk about the health benefits. They talk about thinking of others, not passing your germs, right, as you're passing things around the table. So they have that discussion. They come to that conclusion, and Mother says, it would be really good, Johnny, right, to wash your hands before you come to the table. All right, that was the discussion that was had earlier in the day. So now Johnny comes in, and Mother asks, are you going to eat with dirty hands? So what's Johnny's, what should his response be? It should be no. We could also rephrase that, you're not going to eat with dirty hands, are you? And that would be an implied no. Right, so the, it's an implied negation, which is what's happening here in our scriptures. It's not like we can answer yes or no to any of these questions. You could almost read it in this way, and I think some of your translations show it this way. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? And the answer is no, right? God gives a variety of gifts to us. So we know that we are all not the I. We know that. So all are not apostles, are they? Are all prophets? The answer is no. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? So the answer to all of those is no. And as God restates the design of the church in all of these gifts, and there's a variety of them, God quickly summarizes really the entire chapter. Earlier, he says there's a diversity of gifts. We are individual members that have those gifts. Of course, being the same member, are all apostles? If we were the same, it's grossly disproportionate. And certainly there's a contentment as God is the giver of all the gifts. We're supposed to avoid jealousy. And one thing I didn't point out earlier, as we looked at the order or the rank of the gifts, in verse 28, when God said he sets in the church first apostles, secondarily prophets, there's also a responsibility to those that have gifts, not to lord over the lesser gifts. Are you an apostle? Are you a prophet? Are you a teacher? And there are those that also come further down on the list. Don't lord over other gifts. Be responsible to respond rightly with the gifts that God has given. So with each question, the answer we solidify, we reinforce God's design of the church, all of those gifts we've been given to work together. Now, our last verse in the chapter, for me, after meditating in preparation for the Lord's Day, I came to the end. It was, it was a balm for the soul. It was, it was relief, um, relief to the mental relief to the alertness that I've had throughout this entire passage. I guess pastors deal with this all the time. It's like, I want to make sure, and Travis prayed at the beginning of the service, I want to make sure I don't say anything that's not ungodly, unscriptural. So it's like being on high alert, Lord, I want to say the right things. And you come to the end, and although we looked at all of the gifts throughout the entire chapter of of 1 Corinthians 12, and we come to the end. For, and and I'll, I'll share with you this, and it starts with some complexity, but it ends with comfort. Let's read verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, 
and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. But covet earnestly. Covet earnestly? Wait a minute. The Ten Commandments tell me to, thou shalt not covet. And I'm told to covet earnestly? Okay, so do you ever observe, and I'm going to use this term, uh, potential conflicts. Do you ever observe potential conflicts in Scripture? And let's, let's look at this, because I saw it, it's like, I'm going to think, but covet earnestly, am I supposed to covet? Whenever conflicts come, potential conflicts come in Scripture, where do we start? Where do we start? Well, a good place to start is, I'm human. God's God. Right, his thoughts, we often will say this statement, God's thoughts, and it's scripturally, right? God's thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are above mine. Okay, so I may not understand everything. It's not my, um, it's not God's mistake, right? It's my not fully understanding uh, what's being said. I'll say this, certainly in my early Christian life, maybe through my teens, maybe early 20s, I would have come to a passage like this. Like, I've been memorizing scripture, right? Thou shalt not covet. So I know the Ten Commandments. We all know that. And then if I see a scripture like this, like, wow, what do I do? Oh, well, I guess I don't completely understand, and I would move on. But boy, as we, as we grow in our, uh, as we mature, we should seek to understand some of these things. So if we're stumped, we should just ask the Holy Spirit. He has all truth. He's supposed to lead us into all truth, to teach us all truth. Even David, uh, the man after God's own heart, often said, show me, teach me, guide me. Why? Because he didn't know. Teach me in thy paths, in thy truths, in thy precepts. We just finished Psalm 119 about the word of God. Much, right? Much instruction for us. So, Lord, help me to understand your word. Now, we have our Bible in front of us. Is There's a potential, right, in my mind, a potential conflict. Without any, it's like, there are lots of tools in front of us today that we can go search. We can, we can look a lot of things. But if we only have our Bible in front of us, what do we do? Well, context is often very helpful, which we've talked about before. As, as I think about Exodus 20, verse 17, when it says, Thou shalt not, right, keep the passage going, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, house, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So I think what I'm not supposed to be coveting, and as I think of those things, do I have a general category for what they are? House wife, manservant, maidservant, ox, ass, anything that is thy neighbor's. They are more concrete in nature, um, even temporal things, material in nature. At least that starts to describe those things. Now, when I come to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Okay, and what we've talked about, what those gifts are. Matter of fact, we just look up a couple of verses. Apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, healing, tongues, interpret. Are those physical, concrete in nature, or more abstract? Okay, so they're more, they are more abstract. So at least there's a difference, as far as my understanding is concerned. There's a difference in what I'm supposed to covet, so that might help me as far as the context. 
The second thing is definitions. This might help us more, it helped me more. I had a professor in college that said, if you have your Bible and a good dictionary, you're going to go a long way. If I don't understand my own language, I'm going to have a difficult time understanding almost anything. But if I have a grasp of the English language, definitions of what those words are, and then I read the Bible, I can now understand you know, what's happening. So as I look at covet, now in the past when I heard the word covet, because I memorized the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, I had a very dark, a very sinful association with the word covet. So anything, any sentence that had the word covet in it, I was like, okay, that's, that's bad. Right, so that's my first impression of things. But as we look at what the definitions mean, covet is a yearn to possess or a desire to have something. A yearn to possess or a desire to have something. If I take a step back and now I recalibrate what I understand covet to be, covet should no longer have a negative connotation with it. Right, my understanding now of my English language, my own language. So as we resolve that potential conflict, and it was, it's just a potential conflict. Like it's my misunderstanding that happens. Now that I have the proper understanding through both the context, just material versus the, the abstract, concrete versus abstract, even the definitions, coveting or desiring to have is not the issue. Rather, it's the object of what I was desiring or what I was seeking to have. So in our case, the positive instruction to covet the des uh, and desire the best gifts. That's a good thing, right? It's a God-given desire, a godly yearning for godly things. Psalm 37 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. We, we kind of, we think in a circle kind of about that, uh, about that verse, it's like, okay, God will give me the desires of my heart. Awesome. What I desire, I'm going to get. Yes, but who's going to give you the actual desire that you have? Well, if I'm delighting myself in the Lord, God is giving me the desires. And as I have those godly desires, right, that he has given, he's now fulfilling and satisfying those. So in our case, that positive instruction to covet and desire the best gifts is God's given um, a given desire. So let's not lose sight of God's complete providence in all things. He distributes as he will. We saw that in the recent verses, right? All those diversity of the gifts, he gives those as he will for his pleasure and now encourages us to desire the best gifts. He listed that order, that rank first, second, third, and there were those best gifts that we should seek to have. Now, finally, the relief that I had for my mind the, the balm for the soul. So the whole chapter, it talks about spiritual gifts. Verse 1 starts off, now concerning spiritual gifts. Verse 31, but covet earnestly, covet earnestly the best gifts. We start and we end with those gifts. Studying and spending time with the portion of Scripture here, small phrases now create beautiful pictures in your mind. And, and those one or two words now are worth thousands of words, right? The picture is worth a thousand words. Now, the title of the message this morning, A More Excellent Way, which is, you, you see that in verse 31. We know chapter designations aren't inspired. And as I'm coming down, I'm thinking, so what's the more excellent way? 
it'd be natural for the church to keep reading in that letter that Paul sent to them. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit through Paul kind of leads us in that way. He, he's going to show us. He's going to show us the more excellent way. Now let's keep reading and let's see what that more excellent way is. Think about what we've learned in 1 Corinthians 12 and all of the gifts that they gave that have been given to the body of Christ. Think about those gifts, and let's look at the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it, I am nothing. It profiteth me nothing. Did you see some of the gifts that were listed in those first few verses? Tongues, prophecy, right? We can go back to chapter 12. Verse 10 lists prophecy. Verse 9 lists faith. Verse 8 lists knowledge. If you go forward to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, it lists hospitality, when I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, hospitality. Yes, God is the giver. But the more excellent way is shown to us as 1 Corinthians 13 is given. Deuteronomy 6, 5 is expanded. In Matthew 22, in verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We could probably think of other verses about, yes, we're supposed to do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church. We see the reality of gifts within the body of Christ. So we're the last verse, and in closing, right, we see the reality of the gifts in the body of Christ. We also see the more excellent way. Why was there balm for the souls? Like, am I getting all the gifts correct? Well, maybe, maybe. But what's the more excellent way? What should we have first? Let's have love. So that there's no division, right? Verse 25, there's no schism, but that the care should abound one for another, that our love one for another would abound more and more toward us, toward each other. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you just to do that. Just think with me. Loving God, loving our neighbor, loving our brother, loving our church, brother or sister, all those biblical images are probably fairly accurate. We can take scripture and we can have a scriptural image of love in a, in a very accurate way. We know in our hearts, even our minds. But now if we hold ourselves personally accountable and responsible to that picture that we know is right, is godly, is scriptural, how are we doing? We can probably craft, I can, I know what the picture, I know what the Bible says about love. I can probably craft some pretty pious reasons for why this godly love and care doesn't happen as it's pictured in the Bible. 
I mean, do we respond immediately when pain comes to the body? Do we rejoice with those that do rejoice? Am I too passive in my response? Whatever barrier is in the way of us fulfilling, you know, Paul listed it this way. Paul's joy was that we be like-minded, having the same mind, having the mind of Christ. God's desire is to remove those barriers and conform us more to the pattern, the example, the image of Christ. Now, every week, um, we also have the opportunity to not only be reminded of this, but be tested regarding our response. I thought of our weekly Mid, midweek uh, prayer service, right, on Wednesdays. Our prayer bulletin that's sent out to the church we have with us, it, it lists and it shares all of our members. As you look at that list, is it easy to pray for each one with the same care? Do we avoid specific individuals? I have no need of thee. Or maybe the opposite is true. When you come to certain names, you pray more fervently for them because we bestow more love and more care to that part which lacked. God gave gifts. The church body benefits. We profit with all from those, from those gifts. And the church members care for one another. We hurt with each other. We rejoice together. And in all that, God shows us a more excellent way God's love in us, it fuels the gifts for the church. Father, I'd ask that you would teach us. David said, show me, teach me, guide me. In the midst of this interim time without a pastor, Lord, grow us through great conviction, conviction that you bring. That we would exercise the same care even more abundant care and honor to those parts in need. Daily, help us to love you, to love the brothers and sisters that you've surrounded us with. Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we ask, we commit ourselves to you.